0: Tatiana Oliveira Simonian has worn many hats. Musician, music journalist, big deal marketing executive, and holistic career coach and consultant. Tatiana is also a spiritual warrior with long-term sobriety and a dear old friend. I'm so happy to talk to her on today's episode of Sober Sex.
1: Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got a spiritual growth. We recovery, recovery got a spiritual growth. Summer sex, you'll never get bored. Summer
0: sex, all of this and more. Summer sex, you'll never get bored. Summer sex, all of this and more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy to Hi. see you. Me too. Um, I love you. I love you too. And I'm i and thank you for being down for this, even though I know you're walking through some stuff. It's like you were just talking about kind of like alcoholism being like part of that being isolation and like community being a healing thing in recovery or at least sometimes in recovery like
2: (laughs) yeah 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 yeah
0: yeah uh do you want to want to talk about your experience with that right now or do you want to like do the kind of preliminary questions and we can get into it later like really this is for your comfort level because I know it can be like grief is a bitch and I mean and it's such a powerful teacher and it can come in waves and be really intense or kind of like ridiculous you know
2: Yeah. I mean, so the spoiler for people listening is that my uncle died, um, late Sunday night, but I found out Monday morning. He had been battling, um, stage four lung cancer since February. And he was my father's best friend. He was actually not my actual uncle, but he's shown up in my life, like blood my whole life. In fact, when my dad died, when I was four months sober and I was like, I had the bank account of someone four months sober, (laughs) um he and his wife lent me money for for my dad's funeral because we mm-hmm. had to have a 2 2000 person funeral because he was a high school teacher who died suddenly during the school year
0: oh my god and
2: and so part of my um part of my early you know work in recovery was paying that money back and being you know being a good standing person. But one of the things I was thinking about this morning with grief, I I feel like in many ways I've been a grief doula in my life, losing my parents and grandparents. I I will say it does get a little easier. I mean, it just does. I I don't, there are times when you have the shock and awe experience, but I have a lot more tools in my grief tool belt than I used to. Um, For
0: sure. And also I think that like now I, because I've had some recent loss and I feel like now it doesn't, I don't resist it. So the process is yeah. kind of like it's painful, but it's like, I know that there's something to meet me there somehow or something. It's like, it's hard to talk yes. about, but it's like, it, I can see yep. it as a beautiful thing and not just like horrible pain constantly.
2: Yeah. You know, um, I remember when my mom died, Vic Anderson, um, I called him up. Cause I was mad at something someone said to me and he was like, He basically had just said to me, you're just, you're just going to have to sit. You're just going to have to sit with this. And it was a very, like, he was telling me to literally meditate and just like sit. And um, I had this really transformative experience where I was just on the floor of my apartment, just sitting and I didn't fight the waves anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, that's it. And I'll never forget it, you know, and, um, and I, you know, we handle grief in weird ways. I picked up smoking again after both my parents died. And then I quit after both, you know, after a certain amount of time, we're imperfect people. When my dog died this year, I cried beforehand more than I cried about my parents' deaths. Yeah. I was like hysterical. And I think part of that is like animals are so innocent. Like humans, we have yeah, they're complicated, complicated relationships.
0: Totally. <laughs> my, my horse died earlier this year and it's just been like, oh. Yeah,
2: so, yeah have, right? Yeah,
0: animals are fucking tough because you're just like, you're perfect. What the fuck? Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like if you could do anything. And um, yes, yeah, so I was thinking this morning about my uncle. I was just thinking about how you can't pre-grieve. There's no way. There's no like, oh, I'm going to do this or I have this plan or there's no way to know what's going to meet you. And so, um, in the past, a big part of grief, I, let me back up what I've, uh, what I've recognized in myself is how I will handle problems. The default mode is generally somehow related with alcoholism So if like in alcoholism, in active alcoholism, if I was really into isolationism, when I have a big problem, that is going to be my go-go juice. If I was really into um, overconsumption, I'm going to look for a different way to cross addict It might be shopping. When my mom died, I was like online shopping a lot and buying a lot of delivery food that I wouldn't eat and like lost a lot of weight. Um, But now with 15 years of recovery under my belt, there's this little bit of grace where I'm like, oh, oh, this, oh, this is the thing where I want to act out. And so I can just sit with this discomfort. And I think that's opened the door for me to be able to say this time, oh, I really want community. Community seems really healing because normally I I did not want that.
0: No, totally. And I like, I mean, I think also that. That does come with experience, and it's it's like a window of tolerance that kind of builds up of like not for me. It's just like whatever I can do. It's like annihilation or like intensity, like nothing in between. Thank you, please. Oh. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah, now to yeah. like have experience of being like oh, like this. If I understand this experience, which is is in fact very intense, is like a form of love. Then I can kind of process it differently and like not want to resist the the pain of it. And I think that that's a very, that's new for addicts and alcoholics, you know, like, and it does take some, you know, like learning how to have feelings (laughs) over time and recovery.
2: Totally. And I, I think that like a big mantra for me this year that I've picked up, and this is more of like something the idea of black and black or white thinking is less associated with alcoholism as it is associated with um, being affected by the disease of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So, growing up in a family or relationship. So, if you if you read you know pamphlets related to the family disease of alcoholism, a lot of it will talk about oh, are you perfectionist? Oh, so do you have black or white thinking? And so, so, a big healing process for me as I've worked through family disease stuff, not just my addiction is, um, the concept of a third path. Mm. Things aren't always black or white. Sometimes there is a third path, you know, and we tend to think in binaries a lot of times, and then we get really overwhelmed. And, and often there's this third path. And for me, a big part of that is like, that's where I find God usually. For sure. Because, um, My figure it out brain does not generally lead me to good locations. It is like despair or euphoria. And the euphoria has no limit. It is like, we must get more. Yeah. And And also not
0: necessarily like realistic in terms of like any kind of sustainability in either of those places.
2: (laughs) No, no, no. no. We're dying or we're going to like, you know. Forever. (laughs) Forever. Yeah, relating forever, you know, winning an Oscar and never have acted in our lives, but yeah. <laughs> mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, yeah, you just never know how it's gonna meet you, and I think that, uh, I'm grateful it's showing up with a lot of my coaching clients too, and I love that because I think that, um, uh, Speaking for Americans in particular, I don't know what the culture is like in France as it relates to death. Americans are very like surprised by death. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, like what? And so the coping mechanisms um, most Americans have are pretty poor. And I think that I'm reading the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying really helped me kind of talks about in the beginning how, you know, maybe Christians and Tibetans both of those belief systems kind of center around like, you know, Tibetan Buddhism, you're looking at impermanence and Christianity, let's well, lump in Catholicism, anyone who in into Jesus, whatever, the cross and death and resurrection, right, mm-hmm. is, is significant, right? But when it comes to our own lives, we kind of operate like everyone's going to just be here forever. Well, and- yeah, it's like
0: everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. It's like... <laughs>
2: yeah, totally. Yes, right? <laughs> and tricky. there are ways you can facilitate that experience. <laughs> um uh, chemically but i think um i think one of the one of the parts about you know sobriety that you hear in the early days but i don't think you really gather until you have time it's like you're going to lose people
0: yeah you get are... the black suit going cuz you're going to need it yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: Oof. yeah but i mean i and i do think like you're talking about welcome kind of to the sex doula. podcast yeah hey <now>
2: worst guest ever. No, it's the best. This
0: is my favorite. And also I think that like you know, especially as the podcast goes on, it's like much less kind of sorry everybody. <laughs> it's here for the <laughs> kinky shit. Uh, but it's much more focused on kind of how to live authentically and like how to bring, you know, a full self to recover your two relationships. I think yep. You know, grief is fucking tricky because it is like a solo path but also like as you were saying, to kind of be in community or to be in relationship like that process is fucking like it can be beautiful but it can be so rough like i was barf crying while watching what was it the sandman last night because there was like an oh episode with death and it was like honestly that show is complicated but um i'm
2: <laughs> i've not seen it so no i'm, I can't I'm no
0: spoiler alerts it's just like yo <laughs> I'm i'm not even gonna recommend it but this idea because i'm like i don't know if this is good or just expensive but um oh my god this idea of like having somebody to kind of walk you to, to whatever's next with like a friendly face Mm. and a kind and a kind Mm. smile or whatever. And I was just like Mm. hurling, like trembling with tears. (laughs) That's
2: (laughs) that's literally, that's literally in the Tibetan book of living and dying. Um, They say that you earn the greatest karma in life when you walk someone toward death without fear. And so for me, I couldn't do that with my dad because he died of a heart attack. So it was like, boom, gone. But like with my mom, she had a very protracted cancer journey. And so I found a shift. Someone clocked me and was like, I just want to remind you that you don't have cancer, which I needed Mm -hmm. to hear. It sounds rough. How
0: how long did you have sober before when she was uh, dying?
2: So, I mean, my whole sobriety up till five. So she had cancer when my dad died she beat it and then became depressed because he died suddenly and then just didn't go to her doctor's appointments. Then it came back bone brain, liver lung in 20
1: 2009.
2: So I had a year sober and then she died three years later later. Um, so I would have been four years sober. So pretty newly feral. Yeah.
0: But also like with enough kind of like what an ultimate way to kind of suit up and show up, you know?
2: Yeah. 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 Like you had like the dust has settled, right? So you have some, some tools in your toolbox, but still it was like, ugh, feelings are new, you know, <laughs> feelings are, feelings are new, man. That is not fun.
0: But you were um, saying that somebody had told you that remember that you don't have cancer. And like, that was kind of a yeah. helpful wake up.
2: Yeah. Cause I think from a alcoholic point of view there is that like I'm the biggest piece of crap the world revolves around syndrome and Mm -hmm. and someone lovingly said to me like self-pity is a form of ego and I was like ooh like that you know I would always think of ego as narcissism Mm -hmm. but but ego is also I'm obsessed with my despair I am Mm -hmm. obsessed with my self-pity so when i read um parts of Tibetan book of living and dying and I shifted my perspective to be like, how can I be of service toward my mom in these last months? And I, it really lightened the burden for me. It, it's not like it erased the difficulty or made my grief go away, but it I view that time as so profoundly spiritually transforming to my life um, in a way I couldn't have during my dad's process. And it was like, well, there's no process. He just died. But I, I did some decisions like, when someone has cancer, people will come by when it's in the end stages, people will come by and they have this look on their faces, like, I'm so sorry for you. And it's just, there's a lot of bad energy. And, um, and I don't think they mean it. You know, I just don't think people are equipped that like the most wonderful thing you can do for someone who's dying is bring them a smile, bring them comfort. Um, So I threw a party for my mom's birthday Three weeks before she died, um, we had a taco truck in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> she was bedridden; she couldn't get out of bed. But it was like I literally put in the invite: "You're not going to bring flowers because flowers die. You are going to bring things she probably won't even be able to use three weeks from now, like makeup and stuff she would like, um, because it's communicating that you believe in her, her health, her spirit, and." you're going to bring smiles. And so I have all these pictures of like people sitting on bed with her laughing and Mm. sharing stories and singing. And um, what a gift, you know, I wrote about it. I've written a couple of articles about grief on my medium. And like, I, um, I don't know where that idea came from. I think it was my higher power, honestly, but I'm so grateful I did that because I just got really sick of people projecting their, Sadness onto mm. her, and it, and it, and that's really selfish because that person is is going through something very. It is the ultimate existential experience, right? You know, you're transitioning. You are completely powerless. And she was at a lot of peace. She had really strong faith. Her last word was "Amen." I mean, it's next level. No agitation. I'm very grateful. um But. I just took it on as a job and I think that like because of that there was a bit of autopilot shock mode that happened like natural of course like now what (laughs) like (laughs) yeah yeah you plan the funeral and then you're like oh gosh and it's just all the after stuff is so hard from like cleaning the house to like there's always family drama um I mean not always but in my case there was um the cleaning sucked because my you know parents like boomers they had just had like
0: Random and you're like, God yeah God damn
2: it. Yeah. <laughs> God damn all you on your stuff.
0: Dude, like,
2: did you need this wedding favor from someone's 1989 wedding? No. Um, yeah. So it was just um Yeah, and and there's a lot of different versions of history that you start hearing from people. Oh, I did this for them and I did this for them, and you didn't do this and whatever. And you just have to be like, oh, cool, we're on our journey. Um So yeah, death has just been a huge part of of my journey, but it's really part of all of our journeys. It's just a matter of like, when we meet it, I met my parents' deaths in my thirties. I don't know that that's typical, um, but you know, they didn't meet my husband. They, you know, weren't around to, I will, well, I will say something really cute that when I joined recovery, you know, the recovery world, my, my mom was, my dad died already. But my mom was like, Oh no, (laughs) what is is this? And then on her deathbed, she was like, I love those people. I love your friends. I hope they all come to my funeral. A bunch of girls came and cleaned her house while she was sick to make sure that she was taken care of. And so I have pictures of all these girls at my mom's house. Um, And so yeah, it was really it was really, really beautiful. And um yeah, so this week has been interesting because I normally I'm like, Oh, I'll isolate. But this year, both times I've encountered significant loss with my dog Eno and with my uncle, I'm just like, I want people. I want people. Yeah. I need to be near people.
0: And I so. do think that people in recovery, like as we have mentioned, are we get sadly quite good at loss and to kind of move through that. Yeah. Yeah. Just because like, I think a lot of cases like, and it doesn't sound like this was your necessarily your experience, obviously with your parents, but like in a lot of cases of losing people kind of tragically too young to the disease of alcoholism, like Mm -hmm. there is a sense of like, well, I hope that they're like, I hope that they find relief. You know, I hope that they're free from this disease because dying of alcoholism fucking sucks. Like, or addiction. Oh my gosh. like it can often be a mercy and like I think to you know there's always the heartbreak of like having to deal with what the aftermath of that of like you know grieving something that felt both at once inevitable and also entirely unnecessary you know it's just like yeah one, but like a single little like click between those places on the wheel right uh but um I digress <laughs>
2: I know. Well, I was just thinking of all the people from our original crew that like, you know, you think of and you're like Marty, Allison McKnight, you know, it's just like names of people with big personalities that seem like they were there forever. Alex, you know, from stories and um, Asa, just there's so many names of people that I have such fond memories of where you're like, it's so weird. They're not in the fabric of this space and time continuum anymore. Um, I mean, they are somewhere out there, but it's just, I I think that the deaths from alcoholism are a lot more confounding than, I mean, cunning, baffling, powerful, but like, I think that the deaths of, you know, parents or quote unquote, natural causes, there's something about it where I think acceptance is a little easier. I think, I think alcoholism deaths, there's always this, like, what could I have done? Um yeah, or even just like kind of
0: frustration at like, oh God, it was like it was so close to like like yeah. living happy and joyous and free, not like happily ever after, but just like yeah. you know, the the thing I think that both of us experience on a on a you know twenty four hour cycle, but like a lot of twenty four is stacked, is just like really relieved from the obsession and like and how yeah it can it can kind of come back and how fucked that is. <laughs> like, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Ugh, and, and on horrible to watch, too, because you're like, I know that you know what that feels like. Like, please come back here. And it just being not too little too late or not enough or just like, I don't know, the will of the universe in a some bad way. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, you were talking about like the kind of family disease. And I think, you know, something that I know you have experienced kind of, you know it's like it's such a profound experience to watch that happen that they made an entire other 12-step
2: program for it (laughs) (laughs) Got
0: some
2: more baggage congratulations
0: (laughs) more more opportunities for freedom
2: (laughs) yeah i have longer time in the other in the other land than than in our main one but yeah
0: Actually, so that's a kind of nice nice transition. Um, I, I think we kind of tapped into the how are you? <laughs> yeah. Which is like Surprise. Weird, <laughs> grieving. Yeah. Um, where yeah. are you?
2: <laughs> I am in my little Zen um, office slash guest room slash there's music equipment in here room. <laughs>
0: studio. We love.
2: Yeah, slash studio. There's some bass guitars and the gallery um, wall. My- a gallery wall with my um, my Massive Attack and Depeche Mode uh, signed things, which is love. so dorky. I'm not into signed things, but I really do love those too.
0: Oh, you notice that I have like a signed pick guard. <laughs>
2: right oh back yeah, here. so oh, we're yeah. on the
0: same page of like. <laughs>
2: yeah, sometimes you just gotta you just gotta do it. And then there's some Black Angels and a the Cave poster.
0: And you have a Black Angel shirt on,
2: so. I am. I'm just like a little bit, like, uh, (laughs) oh, but I'm a little bit that, that cringy little psychedelic fan today.
0: So for listeners, Tatiana is very cool and very rock and roll. (laughs) 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 Uh, What are your problems? Uh, She, her. And, And like, in that, what is your experience of gender, like, be it kind of globally or your gender today?
2: It's kind of interesting. I, I don't mean to like turn this into a whole story. I don't, I generally long-form no podcast, around, baby. <laughs> good. Okay. Here's the deal. I'm going to just be honest. When I was younger, I was really into labels on everything. At the time I was like, I'm vegan and I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm whatever. And these days I'm very much the opposite. I'm very much like, I'm curious about this my diet's kind of this and that. And on the next day, it might be this and that. And I think that's a form of self-love because I mm. don't feel rigidity anymore. And so what I will say is um, if you grew up in a time, I'm a Gen Xer. So if you grew up in a time where there wasn't words for some of your experiences, it is a new mm. experience to be like, oh, now there's words for these things. You know, like I remember playing shows and people would be like, oh man, the way you approach music, it's like so much like a dude. And I don't think that's like, you know, I'm just a good musician. Um, I I think maybe someone's trying to say there's like, I think if you have some elevated resource language, it's sort of like, oh, there's some masculine energy Mm. perhaps. And, And that has nothing to do with gender, right? Um, the logic brain, the do brain, the whatever grinding brain. Right. Um, and so, you know, I always joke and my, my parents thought they were having a boy. So I was born into like a nursery room that was all blue. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm vibing with this. Um, but I just never felt like there are times where I'm like, Oh, I'm girly and this and that. And then there's other times where I'm just like, I'm getting some shit done. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And, and the longer I'm around, um, I believe that like I was in the corporate world for so long, which is very based on the military industrial complex and patriarchy and um, rank and file and sports analogies that I assimilated, Mm -hmm. right? In order to win, I must play like this. And so I'm at a phase in my life where it's a very new experience to be like, I'm leaning into the the divine feminine as much as possible. Where can I be slow? Where can I let go? where can I be soft? Where can I not have the answers? Where can I not prepare? Um, and so that's why I, I sort of feel like, I just don't feel like aligning with any label whatsoever, mm. but the way I've, the way I've encountered the world in a lot of my life has had a lot of masculine energy for someone who is like a teeny Brazilian Armenian <laughs> and, um, and, um, And so I'm just giving – I'm just meeting myself with a lot of grace without the need to, like, join a club.
0: That's awesome. I mean, and also it's like I've I've observed that kind of, like, as you've kind of stepped out of more corporate roles uh, that you seem to kind of also be, I don't know, performing less femme. And that's cool. Like, I I identify with that even though it's not necessarily intentional just because I'm like (laughs) – as you said, like I'm kind of here to get shit done, and that's not saying that like feminine energy is not about getting shit done. But I feel like a lot of times when we're like performing femininity to be accepted in spaces yes. where it's not acceptable to to not do that as uh, someone who is oh. uh, female at birth, um, it can feel like kind of shed like stepping into a looser garment, quite literally, <laughs> um, as opposed to kind of a corseted like. Uh, I don't know high-heeled existence. You know,
2: man. Let me tell you. And I use "man" as a pejorative. Everyone, not trying to offend (laughs) you. I'm one of those. I'm one of those. Hey, guys, people that will inevitably offend someone. But (laughs) you're like, this is an insult. (laughs) Just letting you know, I'm a Southern Californian. I'm gonna say, dude. I'm gonna say, man. Hey, guy. (laughs) Hey, what up, guy? Hey, bro. I call my husband bro half the time. But like. I look at pictures of me, Louisa from like, oh my gosh. I was just, I just saw some picture of me like speaking at some, it was like an EDM conference, like a huge conference like years ago to like a thousand people. And I was like, what am I wearing? This like blazer. Oh yeah. (laughs) This, This like silky blazer with these heels. And I'm like, that is so not me. And I know that there was some part of me that was like, I'm not going to be taken seriously if they wear the beetle boots and the jeans. Cause I'm only five feet tall. So I need to put on the power suit and look mm-hmm. important. And, um, and I just remember even when I was in college and we competed in speech, there was this whole thing about like women needed to wear skirt suits with pantyhose and, and your girl hates pantyhose. Those are horrible. Like, Oh gosh, get that out of my life. And, I just, I think I was being indoctrinated that like, okay, when you go perform business person, Mm -hmm. you're going to buy like silky blouses and blazers (laughs) and, you know, Louboutins, which are wildly uncomfortable. And, and as I've kind of just like, you know, part of it was my career got to a point where I, I'm just going to be honest, like I had enough power to dress. I wanted to dress, you know? I I think that – let me digress a little bit into some business stuff.
0: Business. (laughs)
2: Business. Okay. Um, And this is as it relates to those who identify as women. I have a huge pet peeve against people in the market coming out with books that are telling young women – especially young women of color like myself like just go be yourself at work everything's going to be great mm-hmm. talk how you want to talk do this da, 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 da. and I'm just like great try that out when you don't have power because or, what yeah. happens No you know, it's
0: the whole like or the privilege. imposter syndrome exists because yeah. like you are literally an imposter in that space <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was not designed to fit you of course it, it will be not- uncomfortable <laughs>
2: Yes. I mean, I, I was telling someone who came up at the same time as my career and she's um, relatively famous now for her work in marketing and she's a famous woman of color. I said to her, I'm pretty convinced after like trying to make change within a bunch of very big companies like Amazon, like, you know, Twitter, like whatever, that you have to build it to make change because trying to change these companies is like Meghan Markle thinking she could change the royal family. You're dealing with an institution. And bright ideas and a smiling face um, that looks different than everyone else. It's not going to get very far right away, right? And so for me, it's like, I have privilege now because my career has grown a certain amount where I have a resume, I have a certain amount of power, I have a certain amount of privilege that affords me the ability to show up with more tattoos than other women or POC or that affords me the ability to dress a bit different. 10 years ago, I think I was operating... I was doing the best I could with the information I had. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't think I necessarily am saying like, Oh, I should have just a thousand percent dressed the way I wanted to. But I think there's probably, again, a third path. There was probably some happy medium, right. That I could have approached.
0: I mean, or like, I think it's also important to acknowledge that like perhaps your mere existence there, like even if you weren't necessarily performing the way you felt most comfortable like allowed women down the line mm. who are now entering that environment to exist in a way that they are, in fact, more comfortable. You know, I think like representation really does matter in those instances. I think a lot about it with D, within DJing, like as I <laughs> enter my rave elder era um, and only wear like <laughs> fucked up jumpsuits,
1: <laughs> Like yes.
0: hopefully that my um, just my presence there, you know, for the last like 19, 19 years like has paved the way for other like femmes and women to exist how they want to fucking exist and like hopefully I I think probably the same goes for you in the corporate world
2: yeah yeah I think that's a beautiful sentiment yeah I think that sometimes we underestimate the power of simply being in the room
0: sure and I do wonder like this again like thank you for basically doing this interview for me (laughs) (laughs) Because the next question says, it seems like a lot of your journey has been about feminine empowerment, which I imagine was challenging in a lot of male-dominated corporate environments. Damn. Can you talk about learning to be a woman among women or a woman among men existing within a patriarchy? Because I think for me, a lot of the times it felt like I was kind of um, like very much felt in competition with other women. And it took a lot of work in recovery to like – Let that like to kill that and to become like, uh, uh, hopefully, like a yeah, like a matriarch vibe. I don't know, like, can you speak? That's where I was
2: going. That's where I was going to go. So, I was going to say, I was always, and I still am very comfortable in male dominated places because, um. I mean, I even remember, this is so wild. I remember in the 90s when I was coming up and I was trying to get my music off the ground and there was some alcoholism that got in the way of that getting really far. But I just remember looking at things like Lilith Fair and being like, I don't want Lilith Fair. I want to be booked headlining a Lala. I don't mm-hmm. want a separate place for us, like a different drinking. Do company. not get
0: a wise feminine experience. Like.
2: <laughs> you know, like don't like I, yeah. and not that there, and not that there isn't value for those spaces. Cause now I cultivate a lot of women's circles and things like that. But it's like, I really felt like, ugh, man, I want I, I, I want people just to realize I'm just a good musician, genderless. Yeah. I am just a good artist, genderless. Right. Um, but I think what was interesting was the first time I really encountered sexism in business, um, where I was, where I had this like light bulb moment of like, Oh, maybe these guys aren't my friends Mm -hmm. as like much as I thought was I was doing music journalism. This probably must've been at late nineties and I was freelancing for the LA weekly and I would do live reviews and stuff and I needed more money. So I, took, they were interviewing people to be a copy editor there. And I was like, well, this would be great. You know, I'd get benefits. I'd get this, I'd get that. So I go to take my copy editing test and I'm like, oh, I think I bombed it. You know, I found out that I'm one of two people that passed. And I was like, oh, cool. So I went to go do the interview and, um, mind you, what I wore to this interview were skinny jeans, low top chucks and a t-shirt. Okay. I don't get it. And for about five years, I told myself the story that I didn't get it because I wasn't good enough at copy editing. Mm-hmm. And years later, when my, um, my editor got laid off, he was like, I need to tell you something that's like, been weighing on me. And I said, okay. And he goes, years ago, the reason you didn't get that job is because the copy editor thought a woman in, in the editing room would be too distracting. Ugh. And and I and I think I found that out in like the early aughts. And I just remember being blown away because I I was just like, I was literally dressed like a 14-year-old dude. And I'm still, my presence is still too distracting. All I'm gonna be doing is editing. And what a shame that I told myself I wasn't good enough these last five years. Mm-hmm. And um and so I think that, and so I was very comfortable in places with guys for so many years. I was not a friend to other women like I should be. I was always out for myself before I got sober. And I think what really changed is like in early sobriety, I start and I'm like, cute boys, get me sober. Mm-hmm. I'm going to the meetings <laughs> with the cute boys. Oh yeah. And didn't work out well, Louise. You're like, hey, you're all mentally ill, me too. What's up? Oh. Watch it burn. Yeah. I heard, I heard someone once said, it's like, uh, you know, two people in recovery dating is like two dump trucks colliding. And um, I was just like, I think they met in early recovery because I was like, woo, that was a good one. But, um, but what happened was like very quickly around the time my dad died, it's around five months sober, four months sober. It was the women who were showing up. And and then I started to crave the women's spaces to now where it's the point where I'm just like, can I mostly just do this? Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> but but like, I will tell you, in my business, in my in my career, um, women have been the worst, and and I hate to say that, and I talk about it with clients where I talk about you know a term called the sister wound, where. Um, we kind of believe that there's not enough for us. Mm-hmm. And so we need to go after someone else. And, and I also want to give people grace. Cause like I've made mistakes as a boss in my career and I have former employees who don't like me. I have some who still like me. I have some who love me. There's like a whole spectrum of that, right? Um, when you're a manager, um, not everyone's going to want to be your your best friend, you just got to do your best. And we're all growing. And, um, you understand that the more you manage people, you don't get that when you're an employee, but once you manage people, you're like, Oh, this is hard. Um, but I think that like, for me as someone who is a marketing leader, so I primarily led teams of women because marketing tends to over index with women. I just wanted to help girls so much play the game better and avoid the pitfalls I did and negotiate better. And not get in the way of themselves, and um, and I think the hardest part was like I'm not perfect, and so I made mistakes, and I would beat myself up over it. Um, but I think that there were there were several different women in my life over the past 15 years who really were like I'm going to help you out, and I'm going to I'm going to give you some tough love, or I'm going to pull you up by your bootstraps to get you on the right path that inspired me to be like, well, I want to do that too. And the way it's showed up since I've shifted into more of like a spiritually informed business practice and I'm not in the corporate world day to day or not in inside of it is, um, how, how can we embrace our divine feminine? How can we, um, how can we radically support other women and when i feel this thing against her what is there to inspect inside of me mm-hmm. is is it a like you know uh, julia cameron has talks about the the jealousy map right so is my mm-hmm. jealousy map getting getting triggered and i need to explore does she really have something i want well good news there's there's room for all of it in the universe or am i upset cuz she doesn't like me is my people pleasing button being triggered and and I want to resist this and make this person like me. And tough shit, people aren't gonna like you sometimes, you know. Um, especially when you start showing up as your authentic self, For you're gonna sure. your bodies.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, like you know, kind of in that lane that your your coaching practice or like your superpower seems like it's kind of been honed into this very fine point of like helping other people find their superpower. Yeah, um, and I'm curious as to like how did you discover that, and like what does that look like? What does that look like in your practice today? You know, of of being a, a coach and of you know, you mentioned that you started this empowerment like um, the empowered group mm-hmm. with the sister circles. Like,
2: what's what's yeah. going
0: on? Let me tell you. <laughs>
2: um, so I'm very clear that like my purpose in life is. inspire like I really live to inspire people and it's something I've always been driven by and my values are um flexibility and autonomy and creativity and identify and I say that out loud because I worked in so many places for so many years where I was working in places um counter contraindicatory indicative I mean I can't I'm not good on words today so just bear with me I'm not an idiot but yeah, but what you get opposed to my values, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're someone into flexibility and autonomy and creative, a highly matrixed organization that is massive is not for you because it's going to be red tape a Palooza, right? And so what was happening was, I didn't know this before, but I was like, spiritually curious. I was, I started to coach people 10 years ago and it was like, it starts with like I want to pick your brain for coffee, and then you get to the point where you're like, my brain costs money. This is too much. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a lot of volunteer work for like women's focused nonprofits, like Step Up Women's Network that helps inner city high school girls, and and recovery work with a lot of women. And so I was doing I had all these things, and I had some coaching clients here and there while I had my work, my career, you know, at these big companies, and. I felt terrified, absolutely terrified at the idea of ever doing that full time because I was, Mm. and I think this, this comes from like scarcity consciousness, growing up a kid of immigrants, first generation American, you do the stable thing. Right. And so I think the idea of like, I'm going to go coach and consult seems highly irresponsible. Yeah. Especially um, if I
0: think there is also like a lot of external feedback, very positive that your jobs were very impressive, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like It's hard to be like, no, thanks. (laughs) I'm going to do what I'm actually really great at and drawn to. And it's my spiritual
2: path. Totally. And and listen, like one of the number one things, one of the things I did in the girls group I just launched was when we were going around and claiming our seat by stating our intentions, I told them not to mention what they do. Hmm. Um, We can use a WhatsApp group afterwards and put what you do in there, but we're going to experiment with not identifying ourselves by our work. Because I think that... um, for so many of us, we become highly addicted to who we are, who we were. Oh, this is Tatiana. She used to be head of music at Twitter. Oh, this is Tatiana. She used to work for the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, this is Tatiana. She used to whatever. And like, there's a million yous operating in that world. And when you get, I'll I'll speak specifically to musicians and I'm, I'm digressing a bit, but you're on an ADD journey. So just like, welcome to my world. Um, (laughs) I have had a number of friends who have varying degrees of fame in their career. And for some, that fame goes on and off. And um, I remember once Billy Corgan said something like, um, he he had an album coming out and he said, well, it's time to go be famous again. And I thought that was so beautiful because I was like, God, he really understands that like there's who he is. And then there's this thing, this weird construct. Yeah, it's like this weird construct that turns off and on in his life. Like he's not attached to it like a leech. But I have other friends for whom um, in the corporate world, but it's much, much harder for the artists who they get these moments of fame, these moments of success, and then they're over. And then there's deep depression because they don't know how to get it back. Yeah, And, and, and I, I think the identity so much,
0: is just so powerful in that space.
2: So, so powerful. And so it's like a lot of, you know, throwback, you know, TikToks and a lot of like um, constantly reminding you of who this person was or whatever. And like, I have gone through shades of that in my career you know, where I went from working at like Twitter and I was like constantly with celebrities and whatever. And this was 10 years ago, Twitter, not, you know, whatever the thing is now. But when I left that job, it was like some guest list dried up, you know, and some friends dried up who weren't friends and it's painful. Even when, when I left Amazon music, um, I told myself I would never work a streaming job. And then I took this big streaming job (laughs) four days before the shutdown um, I was told, like, oh, yeah, we're going to really help artists. Um, that was not my experience there. But Tatiana um, <laughs> <Jocking. laughs> Tatiana's going to Tatiana's gonna get herself sued now. Whatever. I can have an opinion. Fuck you, Jim. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Just literally. But literally. But I remember um, I left to kind of, like, experiment with helping out a small seed stage startup. And very quickly I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. And I literally had someone from there call me and, like, shame me that it was like, you fail, like you left this big thing and you failed. And that was, uh, and and I had this, like, I now view it as very necessary, but I had this very painful breakdown cry in my bathroom where I was like, I do have shame over this. Mm -hmm. I do have to surrender that like that form of work no longer serves me. Mm -hmm. And and this means potentially leaving these places with big paychecks and the business class travel and this and that and whatever and, and to do something else because it. I was like kind of coaching people here and there on the side. And I was also spending so much money on support for myself. Like I had an executive coach and I had a therapist and I had spiritual people and whatever. That when I finally in the last, um, over the last year, Fully shift into what I was doing, I was like, oh, it was like coming out of the closet. And um, and I realized what I was missing that I really wanted to bring to the table for people was this idea of, like, I still do small business consulting. And then I have a I have a former Twitter colleague who's also been on a similar spiritual path named Joel. Joel, Joel and I are both breathwork facilitators and meditators. And I'm sober. He's super into plant medicine and that's his beautiful spiritual path. And like we do consulting for, you know, large companies and put on, you know, retreats for C-level executives that are very mindfulness informed with strategy because we never had that right. In my solo practice, I do some small business consulting for people where it's like, Hey, let me, let me give you some of the wisdom that I got from these really big companies on how to grow your team, how to structure your business, your marketing, your partnerships, whatever, how to hire or not hire. Cause I love doing that. And, and that audience is like so happy for the help, especially people that work in the spiritual, especially creatives and people in the spiritual space. They have no idea how to structure business. No. It is <laughs> wild. I'm like, Ooh, the brand name is horrible. Your business is horrible. Let me help you out. And then my, coaching, my coaching practice is, um, what I call holistic career coaching, but spoiler, it's just your whole life. And that is um, who you are, who you, who you show up at work as um, is whoever you are in your whole life. There's no such thing as work-life balance. It is all life balance. We just need balance. And so I might be working with someone who thinks they want a promotion and we start getting into it. And then we start tapping into some inner child wounds and we start exploring some perfectionism hangups and we start talking about what they really want. And maybe they don't really want a promotion at all. They want to stay at the same level, but start pursuing some creative pursuits outside of work that are going to really make them happy. Mm. But if you go to an executive coach, they're just going to teach you how to climb this ladder. And then if you go to a therapist, they don't may not understand your work world and they're teaching you how to practice self-care. And so what happens is you're very fragmented. And what I see with a lot of women, um, and I, I help male clients as, as well. My passion is helping women, non-binary folks. Um, what I see is people come to me very disembodied.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's like, um, they don't know who they are anymore. You start yeah. asking like what, what gives you joy? What makes you happy? Because, um, we have become automatons who just know how to do. And so when you open up this space where I open up each session with like, let's do some deep breathing and a guided meditation, sometimes that's enough to crack people wide open. Um, And so my women's group that I just launched is based off of a loose framework of the chakra system. And so the idea was we're going to pragmatically address each, topic each week. So the first one is about grounding the root chakra. And, um, I even did like a disclaimer at the beginning. Cause I was like, I'm going to offend Christians. And it's like, I still identify as Christian. I'm post evangelical. I'm just a progressive Christian who like, is like gay people are cool. And um, also really and into <laughs> the divine feminine. <laughs> like let's go. But, um, but it's like, you can just look at things as frameworks and not be scared of them. It's like, Uh, you know, the, the root chakra is about grounding and how we are literally grounded to mother nature, to our ancestors or to like, whether that's our literal family or to like the ethnicities we come from. And then how we are grounded in our lives, morning and evening practice, um, being able to show up embodied. And so I led folks through a pragmatic, thing which is this wheel of life coaching 101 tool to see how their life is balanced and then I also led them through like this meditation called the wise woman where you you visualize going to meet this wise woman on the beach and having a conversation with her and like the spoiler alert is like this is you in your highest self like in your most eye that future self that you're really leaning towards she's in you right now it's just your story is getting in the way and um I'm so fulfilled doing this work. It, it's an adjustment. Like I don't have an assistant anymore. <laughs> I spent hours yesterday, like moving my whole business from like Calendly to Acuity. Like there's a lot of dumb stuff <laughs> I haven't done and had had junior people do for me for years. That's so very humbly. But I also like, I love that I get to be a little scrappy hacker again and I can code some of my website and can build things. Um, Beginner's mind is is wonderful. And um, so many people are afraid of it. And um, so my life looks different than it used to, but I love what I'm doing. My passion is really helping artists and um, burnt out tech people like really shed the shackles of like who they think they're supposed to be to find who they're like really meant to be.
0: Was there like brief... Or pain around the surrender of like, I can no longer survive in a corporate environment. Like this is not for me anymore. Or was it a big relief?
2: Oh no, dude, it was painful and it took so long. There are still times it's painful, you know, like this is going to sound. So are you crappy. stoked that you're not like gonna... on, on the CEO board of like X, Though <laughs> you don't have to deal with Elon? No, I'm not. I'm just, thank God that thing went up in flames. There are times where I'm like, man, a corporate card would be nice right now <laughs> instead yeah. of like my credit card being it, um, which whatever, you're just whining about having to be more responsible, get over it. But <laughs> I, um, it was, it, well, first of all, it took me a year to detox Amazon and then I wasn't fully ready to jump ship in, inside of me. So I did two other things after that. And then I got really mysteriously sick. Mm really bad for five months and i don't even want to say what i thought i had or what i had or whatever because at this point i'm like who knows maybe i just had you know maybe this was just supposed to happen
0: maybe this was just the universe um, being like stop it
2: (laughs) yeah yeah i am a very you need to learn the hard way kind of person unfortunately um but it was a slow death it really was and and i think that um I started out wanting a lot of training wheels and wanting a lot of insurance that this was going to work out. And one of the big things I learned is like, faith is not knowing you have a net, right? I always picture the Grand Canyon and you're at the, you're at the edge of the cliff and you're like, I'm going to have faith. I can see the net. And it's like, no, faith is you're jumping and there's just a hole and you're going to find out if you have wings.
0: Yeah. No certainty. And
2: no certainty. Right. And um, I heard yesterday this quote, that's like faith and fear both require you to believe in something that doesn't really exist, which are you going to choose? Wow. So great. Um, so I, I started with baby steps where I was like, Oh, I'm going to partner with this person and this person and this person and this person. And then it was like clockwork. Every single one of those situations was just not working out as well as I'd hoped. And it was in, in my I feel like it was God or whoever is being like, okay, it's going to have to do your own thing. And I, and I felt very afraid to like put myself out out there and be like, this is what I do now. Um, But now I'm out and I'm just like, Oh, this is great. This is what I do now. So it's um, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of your listeners in mind. And I think what I'm trying to say is like, If you're afraid and if you have to take baby steps, that is okay. Meet yourself with grace and just know like the longer you're riding your little bike, the training wheels are going to come off. You're going to be less wobbly. And pretty soon you're just riding that bike and eventually you're probably driving a car and, and you're just in it. You're in the new path. But when, when we're first doing this, it's just, there's a lot of baggage with, with identifying with a certain, you know, level of like fame or whatever you even see with artists that are like i'm gonna leave this band and go solo totally you know it's like you you may never achieve the success you have with that other project but you are honoring your artistic self right like wow that's hard and so many people won't do it because they just want the paycheck um which there's no shame in that but
0: well i mean i think that like one of the big questions like surrounding recovery is like if we if we consider that a life on well so a life run on self-will can hardly be a success, then I must define success. And if success is like the paycheck, but the paycheck is making me miserable, perhaps I have to redefine success. Or it's like if success is like having creative integrity and being able to like do what I want most days, (laughs) then, you know, or, you know, know, like later they talk about like living humbly and and like walking towards the will of God, then like those each provide a different, Experience, you know, and like, how can I kind of adjust myself to reality and move towards my vision of success within my present reality?
2: I mean, and you nailed it on the head. And I think one of the phrases that's given me a lot of comfort is God is my employer. Mm-hmm. It's such a great forcing function for decision-making. It cuts the fear right out. Like if I'm debating something business-wise, like when I was negotiating my exit from my last job, I had an executive coach tell me like, you're going to have to do this really long protracted negotiation and do this and do that. And this is someone with a PhD from Harvard in organizational behavior, like a renowned coach telling me like, this is how it's done. Mm -hmm. And then I had someone <laughs> like, spiritual say, <side> <laughs> yeah, dude, I was like not feeling it. And, I, and I, was at a, I wasn't in a great spot either. I was very dysregulated and sick and like, oh, I was overwhelmed. And then I remember um, someone spiritual saying to me, okay, cool. God is your employer. What would you do in a perfect world if you knew God had it handled? And I said, I would just tell them like, this is what I want. And so I just made that call and I got it within a day. Wow. <laughs> and and that, you know, that is a big part of what informs my work today is that I have seen with experience that business advice got me so far in my career. Applying these principles to all of my affairs, applying spiritual principles to my career, got me to a much further place. And and the analogy I would make is it's it's like half measures versus happy, joyous, and free.
0: Mm. But I mean, I think also you're speaking as somebody with significant time, you know, in recovery. Yeah, and clean and sober. Yeah. And I think that that's also like all that shit is so learned in terms of like being able yeah. to kind of like have an internal compass that you can listen to and trust. And also just like one that other people can listen to and trust because if I'm behaving erratically like a selfish asshole. Then like there's a higher likelihood that I'm not going to get what I think I want um, yes. when I demand it from the people around me. You know, know,
2: I I will say this, though. I was so broken down at the time this happened. It felt like being newly sober mm -hmm. and and desperation makes your faith so strong because you have nothing. Like, I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know if I'll ever know what's wrong with me. Every doctor is, I think they're getting it wrong, but I don't know. No one will believe me. They're just telling me to get on Prozac and it's just anxiety. It's just in my head. And when you literally are like, I have nothing but God. It, it literally felt like my first five months when I was like, well, I'm newly sober. I was almost killed in a car accident. Three months. My dad died. I got robbed. I'm broke AF. And what do I, I have nothing but God. And you like somehow get out of it. Right. Like that's the spoiler alert. Like everyone's okay. But also and because so,
0: you like took spiritual help.
2: action. I took action. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I did the things right. Like I did the work. Um, but I think that what happens is like with time, it gets harder sometimes to have faith because you have the things now mm-hmm. you got the house, you got the person, you got the, whatever. And so you, I think for me, I think I started to think I could figure things out. I, I was starting to use God, like a talisman, like, Oh, let me put a quarter in the God gumball machine and, and get this thing out. And getting sick really brought me to my knees where I was like, Oh shit, I may never get better. Can I surrender and be okay? I,
0: I may not, not even get what- so
2: yeah, I may not get what I'm asking them for. Cannot be okay. And that to me was like this, um, very powerful healing experience, um, horribly uncomfortable. And I I still, I still have a lot of PTSD around being sick and being like, God, I'm glad I'm not there anymore, but, um, or at least not as bad as I was, but, um, But I would argue like, yeah, resourcing does come with time. But I would also I would also suggest like in early sobriety, there's just so much faith if you're doing the deal. There's magical faith that that seems to go down in time if you don't stay in the middle.
0: Totally. I mean, desperation definitely creates fervor because I remember just like being absolutely gobsmacked. that This thing works, (laughs) you know, and everything was like to be able to like live life substance free was felt like a miracle still, you know, in that kind of magic can easily wear off if I'm not cultivating it on a daily basis and I you know like you mentioned briefly like in your um sister circles doing some like inner child work and I'm I know that you've been doing some reparenting of yourself and I'm wondering um what that's feeling like and like how that's how you're kind of doing that today what's that look like
2: Well, man, it's so awesome to do that work. I think part of my experience with reparenting, and I've done a number of different modalities of inner child work over the last decade, and I really like guided visualization ones. I learned a new one from a teacher recently that's worked for me a lot. But um, I think that um, my experience is it's allowed me to take my parents off the hook. Mm -hmm. Recovery did as well, like doing amends, whether they were alive or not really helped me take them off the hook but i think that um inner child work has has been really liberating to be like hey little tatiana like i can take care of you oh you want cereal today cool let's just go get some cereal i had this really crazy experience actually most most recently where little tatiana was like i was doing this meditation and she's throwing a little tantrum and then she's like i want sugar cereal and and in the moment, you're not really thinking of it. And I was like, okay. And I'm not someone who generally buys cereal. I'm very like, you know, healthy kid and not sugar cereal. And later on that day, I started thinking about my relationship to cereal. This is, this is going to get somewhere valuable, I promise. Um, <laughs> yeah. So growing up in my home, my mom... She had had been a model. She had some disordered eating and there were a lot of rules around food. And so um, she made amazing home-cooked Brazilian food, but things that like other kids were getting, like white kids, was like sugar cereal and tuna helper. We were not allowed to have like ding-dongs and ho-hos and Wonder Bread. All those things that are like very bad for you, we were not allowed to have. So what does that do just to, to a little person? Like makes me, it so you know?
0: precious and desirable,
2: <laughs> right? So, Prazier. I get to call. I get to college, and there's like this huge like cafeteria with like a cereal wall, and I no joke gained like thirty pounds just eating like four bowls of cereal a day, <laughs> like Fruity Pebbles and Lucky Charms and Cocoa crispies. and. And like had like such a crazy sweet tooth. And um, and after I and I, I have still had a sweet tooth. I had the craziest experience where I was like, okay, we're gonna go to the store and we're getting some like organic coconut sugar flavored cereal, but like, you know, I had to like make an amendment, because I'm not
0: negotiation. Get <laughs> cocoa
2: yeah, I was, I was negotiating <laughs> with a kid. But I got some healthy cereal and I had this experience where since I've done that work I have not been wanting sugar as much Mm. and I've been like oh this is interesting like that it was almost like that craving was some part of me that was just like I just want to be seen I just want to be heard Mm. and by acknowledging it and and the and the emotion attached with that moment was like she was angry she was angry that she was being Caged in and limited, and not heard, and whatever. And once I heard her and saw her and gave her what her parents couldn't give her, it was like, oh,
1: now I don't need. To out. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I mean, it's so interesting that you say that because I do think that that like there is this assumption that I think is very prevalent in addicts who are never like the whole thing about addiction is like never satisfied. Like there's never going to be fucking yeah. enough. Um, because we never actually feel the cessation of the need. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. it's something that we skip over in the process entirely. Like, that, I think, is a big kind of function of the addict, quote-unquote, addict brain. And that when, um, unfortunately, when needs are shoved down or not met, they just, they don't go away, they get louder. (laughs) Yes this like actually like seeing the need specifically meeting it and feeling, feeling what it's like to be met. And then like it, it can actually move on. Like you, you broke the, you broke the, the cycle, you know, because you like allowed it to complete essentially. Oh, cool.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think that's true with like everything in life too. And I think taking it back to how that shows up in work, I think, you know, when you start getting successful in art or business, your defects and your assets, the volume goes up on them. So if you were like kind of selfish before you get famous, you're gonna be really selfish. If you were kind of self-absorbed before you start getting business experience, you're gonna get really self-absorbed. If you were kind of generous, you're gonna be really generous. Right. And all of that is like rooted. Like I've, I've worked for a number of, like, I've even worked for several billionaires and there's like you know, as, as working for top celebrities or some billionaires, there's been moments where I'm like, gosh, this person's being so cheap. Like, I don't, like, bro, you've got like hundreds of millions in the bank, can you not? But it's that's that's little kid stuff. That is like, mm-hmm. this person grew up super blue collar or like, I'm, you know, whatever, didn't have enough, never dealt with that little person inside of them. And now that is driving decision making that is affecting the lives of everyone around them. And that is why inner child work is so powerful because, um, and, and also not, not just that, like you can change your legacy and you can change it for the people that came behind you and the people that are coming after you. Like you're not destined to be your mom. You're not destined mm. to be your dad. Like you can, like I have done that for my family, right? Like I'm one of the people who have done that. And that to me is like, I don't take that lightly I'm not procreating. So there's not going to be anyone now. there's just gonna be like really awesome dogs and like helping my nephews out. But still, it's like, that makes a difference. This work, when we do this work, we're not just doing it for ourselves. And it impacts everyone around us. You know what I mean? It's like, if that celebrity would deal with their scarcity consciousness issues and realize they have enough and they're taken care of, how might they show up at their work? They might be more generous to the people around them. They might be more well regarded they might be more happy. They may not be spending their money on all kinds of weird things to make themselves happy with band-aids and stuff. It's just, it's mind blowing to think about how something that seems so like throwaway or like so like warm and fuzzy and yeah, is actually, yeah. yeah it's actually very pragmatically impactful to your career, to your life. Um, That's really, I love
0: that you said that and and that it feels like on numerous recent episodes, like the idea of kind of ancestral consciousness has been coming up, which is like not the obvious thing that we were like sober sex, ancestral consciousness, but this idea of like being like the process of recovery, being one that is about kind of breaking toxic patterns in a lived and actual sense, that it's not in fact like hippie voodoo bullshit, <laughs> that it is, yeah, like it is something that you really do in the world. Um, and I've so, you know, to kind of pivot drastically, <laughs> I've been thinking well, about. Wait, wait, do it.
2: I want to say one thing that I've been wanting to say out loud somewhere, and I feel Love. like I can go here very nicely. Okay. And you're gonna be like, Tatiana, what? I wanna talk about succession for one minute. Right. So you're, you're gonna, it's gonna go to ancestral. Watch this. So um, <laughs> I remember when, you, when you're watching the last several episodes of succession and you're like seeing the way it all plays out, you're like, oh my gosh. And so much of it was like this um, loop back to the beginning and a loop back to the behaviors these people had and the choices they made. And, and, and the showrunner said something like, the premise was just like, people don't change. Mm -hmm. And I remember just thinking, but they do. Like they do, like they get sober and they change. And I have never seen more change in my life than I have in the rooms. And so full body goosebumps. Wow. (laughs) Like that was something where I was like, my goodness, I wish that Message was out. Maybe the bear will give us that message because home, home skillets going to 12-step meetings. Like, yes, I, I'm like, I've got some hope. But come on. But um, but I but I think that like the reality is like, yes, in everyday life we are surrounded by people that are pretty fixed and that don't change. But if you happen to be one of the lucky ones who enter through this weird cosmic window of grace into this other strange place of like folding chairs and basements. There is this bad magic coffee <laughs> and very, very bad coffee. I just bring my own tea bags at this point. Pro tip. Um, there, there it is. I'm just, I'm embracing my Abuelita vibes, but like there is um, profound change that happens that impacts our legacies and our ancestors and, and those around us, like a freaking solar system. And that to me is like one of the things that keeps me coming back because I'm just like, holy shit, people do change, so that's it. Can the world last hope for you less? <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> oh God, I lo- I like there, Succession is talked about often on sober sex, um, but I do, okay. and I I I do love that being. I think that that's a perfect note to end on. Like I was going to ask some questions about delight, but I feel like we covered it with sugar cereal. <laughs> um, oh yeah. But, I mean, I think that, yeah, that, like, that's kind of what we do here. And also to be able to bring those spiritual technologies into corporate worlds or to help other people utilize them outside of, like, hitting a fucking rock bottom is such a generous and, like, brave thing to do because it is
2: revolutionary work. Can I ask you a couple questions real quick? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love that. <laughs> so, yeah. I just want to flip. I want a, a corporate journalist wants to flip the script. Um, okay. What... Um, I want to ask you two questions. Like one, what are some spiritual modalities right now that are really helping you and supporting you and nurturing you? Um, so
0: I'm a big fan of, of morning pages and that feels like it's a kind of evolving like space for whatever spiritual modality I'm incorporating into my life. And that's been like probably for the last like four or five years. And that's, that's really important for, as a spiritual practice also obviously meditation It's been very good um even if that's just like for me <laughs> one 20 minute nap a day like I'll say my mantra fall immediately to sleep and wake up in 20 minutes but yes. like hard reset makes me much nicer and it, it helps my body feel like it's like honored like if I need a fucking rest I can take a rest um and I think like recently I've had a very uh persistent and obsessive resentment that is mm. kind of um have was out like the the trouble with a kind of resentment inventory um in this case is like I know my part and I still think I'm fucking right because <laughs> um, how dare you behave that way <laughs> and even if it's like outside of my um like even if my own resentment is resenting somebody for doing a thing that I actually respect. Um, Mm. If it's inconvenient to me, I'm still like, fuck you.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: So it was very helpful. I don't know if you're familiar with the the Byron Katie method of the work. Oh, yeah,
2: but I was doing it this morning.
0: Yeah, baby. So, you know, and and for listeners who might be interested, it's basically like you can Google Byron Katie, B R Y O N K D K A T I E, the work. And there's conveniently, there's an app. But um, it's basically like, what is your belief? Is it true? And if I'm like, of course my backing belief is true. is like, is it really true beyond the shadow of a doubt in every circumstance? Is your belief true? What do you feel like when you believe that belief? Um, and then, you know, it's like in your body, what memories come up, what images come into your mind? And then if the belief weren't true, what would it feel like? Like, what would it feel like in your body? What images would come to mind? How would you behave towards the person that you have this belief around? And, uh, and then the, I think for me, the important part that the fourth column of a resentment inventory which is like my part fails to Mm. to touch on is like what's a turnaround like what's a different way of seeing the situation it's not just about like me being a bad guy but like like how else could this what else could I believe about this you know Mm. Um, like here's an opportunity for me to be generous to somebody I care about even if I think they're fucking wrong or, you yeah. know, like, how I can, how, how, this is an opportunity for me to support somebody who is actually doing something that I respect, even if it's inconvenient to me, you know, so it's like, that was, mm. that's been very recently helpful, um,
2: and I, I don't know, that
0: moved to the countryside, and that's, like, a, the best spiritual technology of all time.
2: <laughs> Bro, I know, I might pull something, I do like the phrase, if it's hysterical, it's historical, that's been mm-hmm. a good, like, because sometimes I'm just like, what if this person is just a symbol of, like, some historical BS I need to work through? Because I get, like, you, I get, like, this, like, I know my part, and also righteous indignation. And, and fuck <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's like, I'm Brazilian, and I'm a Scorpio, and we're going to get into some things. Um Uh the, the hey, Okay, the countryside plays into my last question for our interview on my podcast today, <laughs> which is... What are Love. some things that have brought you? What are some things that have brought you joy recently?
0: Oh my God! My last question for you was going to be about like where have you been experiencing delight today? Oh um, look at that! Look at this, <laughs> co-hosts. <laughs> um, yeah. um, come back anytime. I didn't ask you any of the sex questions I had, so you have to actually come back. It's <laughs> it's now mandatory. <laughs> Sounds um, good. Um, so I'll I'll do that I'll do this and then I'll flip it back at you. Um, okay, sweet. So today I was riding my horse who brings me great joy because he's like, <laughs> well, he lives to destroy and he's the cutest. So like, you know, he's just like constantly like, let me chew on this. Let me, let me like take this on the floor and then stomp on it. <laughs> like, I'm just like, dude, like you are a 180, you're a meter and 80 centimeters tall. Like you cannot behave as way.
2: Oh my gosh! Um,
0: So, but I was noticing that I was like, we were. I was taking him out on the trail, which is a rare thing because he his feet are really gnarly because he rips his shoes off. Oh my god! Uh, Because he's again a master of destruction. (laughs) Wow. So, and I was noticing all of these like invasive, terrifying thoughts, like Mm. really coming up, like strong, invasive, anxious, like spiraling. And he was being like very chill. You know, shockingly, like, for once in his fucking life, and so it was definitely like a, a practice and like a, I think, a nod to kind of this this more embodied work that you talk about. This idea of like how can I be in my body in the moment, and like stop the kind of head like head based narrative that I'm kind of sp- like spiraling in that's not actually happening right now. And it was amazing mm. to 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 be able to like notice the shift of like, wait, can I enjoy this this thing with mm. this? This force mm. I love very much. Can I like just be with him mm. and be present with him, and like, and it changed the the whole day. You know, it changed my like kind of tight, like breath holding, fearful mm. engagement with him mm. in you know a headspace that was a terror
2: um, mm. to
0: something that was like playful and present and and you know it, it kept trying to kind of come back, but like it was just like ground in breath in the moment like, enjoy this thing, this, this Mm. moment, because like, I know it can be taken away really fast. And like, I would hate, Mm. that's a helpful one. Like I would hate to have missed this because I was in my head Mm. about some dumb shit.
2: Mm. Isn't that funny how like depth death creates a depth to our joy so that we are more present with like losing the horse you lost allows you to find more joy with the horse you have.
0: For sure. Um, And also, I mean, I was thinking about that for you, like, you know, the, to, to at once, like, wish it were different somehow and at the other time and, and, and also be aware that you couldn't be having the, this life that you have if it hadn't, If, if, Mm. if it hadn't changed, you know, it's a hard thing. I don't,
2: I don't think I would have had the career I had had my parents not died. And that's a really strange thing to say out loud, but it's something I've been very consciously aware of for the past 15 years. Like, I just, I don't know.
0: Totally. And to like, wish it were different and also know that like, this thing that you love wouldn't have been possible if it were. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like a kind of rugged (laughs) path to acceptance. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And, and I flip it to you. What, what has been bringing you joy or delight of late? And I say delight because I feel like it's more a little bit more embodied on occasional Like yeah. I can feel it, you know, more viscerally. I love it.
1: Through this in the heart.
2: Um, so I, that was like, that was a subtextual joke. Um, <laughs> uh, so on the animal side, yeah, we lost a, a dog in January Eno. to cancer, Eno, Eno, we named after Brian Eno. And then we didn't mean to, but like there were these puppies that needed to be fostered and, you know, in the neighborhood. And we got this little ball of destruction named Barrett after Sid Barrett in February. The and apt. this <laughs> apps. Yeah. And now we have Iggy, we have Iggy, our elder statesman who's, he's going to be 10 and it's, Barrett is the most joyful dog we have ever had. He is crazy. He is so funny. He's like, he's always doing things that are so annoying, but also so like, just make you laugh. Like, my underwear is like halfway across the living room being eaten by Barrett. And then he's <laughs> outside. Trying to fight a bee for the fifth time. He's been stung five times. Everyone's <laughs> like, Well, he's gonna learn a lesson. Oh, contrary. He, <laughs> he will narrator, he would not learn the lesson. So even other people are like, This is the happiest dog I've ever seen. And so it's just been so wonderful to have that little energy. And then um I led the girls through this like worksheet thing called the wheel of life where you look at what's balanced in your life. And I, I do all the homework before I lead anyone through it. Right. And so I was really surprised that like one of the things that was rated lowest for me was environment. because like, I love our house, but it had gotten like just too much clutter and stuff and things. And so I went on like a Marie Kondo spree through my house, just like cleaning things, reorganizing, whatever. And it's like now like my little my little space here where my little Palo Santo and whatever, I just feel so much happier. Like my space just feels so light. The energy feels so good. My music equipment feels happy. Like there's just an energy in the house where I'm like, Oh, this feels like a lot of times we try to go buy things where it's like, maybe just clean your house. (laughs) You might feel really give some stuff away. So that has brought me so much delight. And I think um, I'll wrap it up with this. Um, such a recovery thing to say. Um, I I think a lot of times the obvious answer to me seems like the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I got to go book a session with so-and-so, or I got to go to Palm Springs for a weekend. But really, I think in the back of my head, it was like, you need to reorganize, clean the house, and throw stuff out, donate, it was like there all along. And once I did it, I was like, oh, Yeah. This is so nice. I feel so good. <laughs> so that brings me to, that brings me a lot of delight and um, peach and berry season because I'm making a lot of pies.
0: So. Oh, Tatiana is a prolific baker. I am sad that I'm in a different continent. Um, yeah. So that actually brings us to our lightning round, which is very fast off the cuff. What is your favorite snack? Speaking of peach and berry season.
2: Oh, uh, my favorite snack is. Uh, green tea and almonds. That sounds horrible, but it's true.
0: <laughs> you're the healthy kid one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Roasted? <laughs> plain?
2: I just do, yeah, I just do plain almonds. And if I have some charcuterie lying around, I'll do some of that too. But
0: yeah, it's pretty basic. Protein, baby. What's your favorite way to yeah. get pumped up if you're feeling low energy and you want to be sharp?
2: Oh, I, you know, dorky playlists in my in my little apple music land you know that have some like embarrassing songs in there that i'm like let's go or like listening to david goggins literally he's like <laughs> you come on you're gonna do it. and you're like okay I'm it. <laughs> uh, sometimes i'll listen to a guided meditation but yeah i don't know i'm just like pumped up music and like some insane former navy seal <laughs> perfect it, i have to didn't say- see that coming
0: no, not at all, but it, it actually tracks, like, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course, that's yeah. a hardcore chorus book. Um, what <laughs> is your favorite song to cry to in, in this moment of grief?
2: Oh, um, you know, um, uh, hold on. Let me make sure I got the name right. Um, so From the Edge of the Deep Green Sea by The Cure, but also there, is, there was a Mogwai EP with an instrumental song called like as most of their songs are instrumental, but like, there's a song called rage, man. And, um, that has been a song that's like a great soundtrack to crying. It just like you listen to it and you're just like, it's just a beautifully slow instrumental song by Mogwai called rage, man. But that one,
0: yeah. I did see somebody posted on Instagram, like, like, if, if your friend is depressed, ask them for their playlist because it will be fire. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. yeah.
2: that track. There was a someone uh, Someone sent me a meme last night that said, Billy bought five Cure albums. He then bought two, many, two Cure albums. How many Cure? What does Billy have now? And someone's like, depression. Billy has depression. <laughs> I was like, that is, minus Friday, I'm in love yeah
0: uh and love cats which i'm like mm. <laughs>
2: i know we could have done better but you know they can't all be winners
0: no i mean and, you know it does it, it is a bop um what turns you on and that can be sexually or it can be like creatively intellectually like physically charged up like what's that oh tatiana's making a face you don't have to answer that if you don't want to
2: no i'm trying to think <laughs> I mean, most recently, it was uh, the lead actor from The Bear with His Shirt Off. I was like, okay, chef. Like, I don't think uh, you're <laughs> alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yes, chef. He bit okay. Um, I don't like short kings normally, but I was like, hmm, Brett Anderson in the 90s. He was tasty. My husband looks just like him, though. Um, that, and then mm, smells. I'm very sensory. So, like, lavender, obviously, is an aphrodisiac. Um, ylang-ylang. Scents very, oh, let me do it for me. Awesome. What is your favorite tool,
0: spiritual or otherwise, today? Meditation. Awesome. And finally, what do you love? You. I love you too. (laughs) What a fucking joy to have you. If if people are interested, this is not lightning round, but like if people are interested in your work as a coach or they want to check out, you know, what you're up to, where can they find you?
2: So the easiest for spelling purposes would be my Instagram, which is at Tatiana, T-A-T-I-A-N-A. Or my website is TatianaSimonian.com, which is T-A-T-I-A-N-A-S-I-M-O-N-I-A-N.com. Or just go to my Instagram. You'll see it because my name is very long and ethnic. And that's the short version of it. Tatiana Oliveira Simonian. I was wondering, I was like, and how do you
0: pronounce your middle name? Because I'm going to try yeah. to read it in the bio. We'll see. Oh. Oliveira? Yeah.
2: So Tatiana Grace Oliveira. 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 Simonian. Yeah, okay. Oliveira. Like Ayurveda, okay. Oliveira. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tatiana. It's been such a joy to talk to you. I'll have to have you back because you're a fantastic guest. And <laughs> because we didn't ask any of the sex questions. Perfect. Sorry. No, not at I'm all. Married. It was magic. I love you very much.
2: I love you. Bye. Bye. (laughs)
0: One sec. Hi, Sober Sex listener. I hope that you enjoyed this show. And I'm assuming that you did because you're still listening to this episode. Um, And I was wondering if I could ask you a favor. Don't answer. I can't hear you. (laughs) This is uh, a podcast I do for fun and for free. And so if you could like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, especially tell your friends about an episode that you loved it would be so deeply appreciated because we can use all the support we can get it is indeed a labor of love and we love having you listen and if you could help spread the word that would mean a lot uh, our instagram is at fuck yeah sober sex and our twitter is at sober sex pod maybe sober sex at sober sex podcast i'm sure you can find us and uh, yeah, I think that's all the info I have, but thank you for being here still. Okay, bye. Creativity,
1: authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got it, spiritual growth, suffer. Gotta Got